welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 10, Aqual Stages and Developmental Levels, The Ladder to Recovery and Growth. Well, good morning, good day, good evening, good night. Wherever you are on the planet, this is, I believe it's episode seven uh, of the Journey of Integral, is that correct, Doug? Episode number 10. Okay, well, what's an episode or two, you know, or three? Uh, so number 10 in the Integral Recovery uh, Podcast. And let me, I tell you, gentlemen, I really look forward to this time when we're doing our show because I just have a great experience whenever we yeah. do this. So that's, yeah. uh, I hope that's an indication this is what the universe wants us to be doing. And if not, it's sure a good time. So, uh, so yeah, so what, where we were last time is we were starting to, well, we talked about, you know, what is addiction? What is integral recovery? And we started going through the map, uh, the aqua map created by Ken Wilbur. And I think all of us have been, you know, creating it too, as we've worked with it over these, you know, this last decade or so. And aqua stands for all quadrants, all lines, all stages, all states, and all types. And I think we got up to stages. All right. We, we did, we did the quadrants, you know, these four basic dimensions of reality that exist in every occasion. Okay. And then we did, I think what came after that is aligns, which basically independent semi-independent intelligences. You know, we all have, you know, it's not just one intelligence, uh, you know, I'm pretty good guitar player. I'm a terrible typist, you know, I mean, on and on, there's all kinds of things like that. And why it's important for us, because there's four uh, essential intelligence that we identified for, for this, this, uh, this recovery journey, you know, and not mere sobriety, but, but actualizing, realizing, evolving into the best version of ourselves, which is a ex- super exciting story. And the, the, what we're going to de- uh, talk about today will, uh, will really elucidate that and illuminate it. And uh, then what did we do? Uh, lines, I believe that's I where we left off. Yeah, right. Oh my God, we did like, yeah. took us 10 yeah. programs to get there, but here we are. So, <laughs> so anyway, but let me just, well, now let me say a little about that. This about that. Um, now let me say this about that. Yeah, you guys who were alive when Kennedy was around used to say that. So anyway, uh, this is one of the coolest parts of the whole darn model, and they're all pretty cool. But once you get this, it is—it's life changing. It's like you can't go—you know—you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, once this stuff gets out, and you will see everything differently. You'll certainly see our current political situation. Yes. Uh, in, in the world and in our country and in your community, or um, you'll see uh, Christmas dinner with the family <laughs> much differently, much more differently. And also, I think, believe it or not, it will kind of um, show you the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. Mm-hmm. That's how amazing this stuff is. Uh... Like, oh, that's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's quite a big claim. So hopefully we can... Uh, make that work and uh hey you guys well, you want to riff off of that? about stages definitely kind of blew my mind uh yeah. i don't know if i know the meaning of life yet but stages really transformed a lot for me um it, it yeah. helped clarify my own journey and my own evolution as well as helping me to understand the people around me in my life my my family um my friends you know both both the people that my addiction had hurt and and the people that i was trying to mend things with um helped me understand 
things going on at my job at the time. And you mentioned politics. Wow, that's a huge one. But uh, anyway, I'm sure we'll get into all that and mm-hmm. really looking forward to this discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking of something as you were talking, Doug. In the 1980s, I was in graduate school, and it was my first encounter with typology. It was a Jungian typology, you know, the Myers-Briggs and so on. And that was really life-changing for me. It resituated a bunch of things for me. My marriage uh, was significantly impacted by that, just by that awareness. And I've never thought of it before, but in the 1990s, when I was exposed to spiral dynamics for the first time, and we'll talk more about levels, that was just as, uh, in fact, I think even more impactful for me, making sense of my previous religious journey within organized religion and out of that, and uh, my flirtations with Buddhism and Jungian thought and you name it, uh, very, very helpful. And then I realized that in the 2000s was, was when I was really exposed in any depth to uh, Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences yep. and the developmental lines and how that, you know, introduction to Goldman's work on emotional and social intelligence and so on. And so it continues, but uh, real gratitude uh, for, uh, I liked how you put it uh, last session, I think, John. These, uh, these theories, these ideas are psychoactive. They're uh, spiritual active. You know, they, like, they've really impacted my life uh, in ways I can't imagine my life without these, uh, without these awarenesses that have been fueled by clear thinking. Um, I wanted to say something, and then I'll introduce uh, a poem uh, as well. I wanted to say something to you, John, and to you, Doug. It is so, it is such a deep privilege to sit with the two of you because of the, um, the places we touch. We're irreverent together. We're exceedingly reverent at the same time. And uh, just the depth and the authenticity. John, I know your heart, and Doug, I'm getting to know yours. And, it's, uh, I mean, what a rare privilege. Um, I recently had a conversation with a friend who was looking for what we have here, uh, looking how rare it is to find this in a single person, much less three people, much less a, a, a growing community. So I just really wanted to name that. And in that spirit, I wanted to share with you a poem. <clears throat> it's by uh, the Persian poet Rumi uh, from the 1300, uh, the 1200s, actually. And it's, it was part of my meditation a couple of mornings ago, and it was with me. Uh, John, you know me well. I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> well, it's a good thing. We need somebody like to talk to do this kind of gig, right? And so I took this one to heart, but I, you'll, you'll see the application to, to uh, talking and not talking. But also, uh, I think it applies to what I just said, is that the places that we touch are so profound to me that uh, when I do speak or, or when I uh, am engaged in conversation, it's these conversations that I hunger for. Um, and so this is, this is uh, from Rumi. It's just three lines. There is a way between voice and presence where information flows. In disciplined silence, it opens. With wandering talk, it closes. Yeah, that, that wow. Rumi was so ahead of his time. Sounds like what we're learning about the brain and flow states now, about the frontal lobe, like cutting down, you know, slowing down, and another part emerging. When that, I love you tying it into flow. I never once. 
I'm familiar with that poem and never once applied it to flow. There's a way between voice and presence. I always think about it myself when I think come across that poem, it comes up occasionally between voice and my heart. Is there a way that I can keep my voice connected to my heart? And that really is the experience of flow. I mean, I experience flow when we talk. I hope it's evident in these recordings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just completely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the sense of timelessness. I mean, we, we, we laugh at each other because we have no sense. Did we just talk for 40 minutes? You got to be kidding me. <laughs> Do we say anything about stages? Uh, no. <laughs> this you is know, number cool seven? Thing, no, it's number 10. Wow. The, cool, the cool thing about Rumi is, you know, he's the most popular poet in the United States. And this is a, uh, uh, a 12th century Persian slash Iranian poet and like yeah. how did that happen you know <laughs> we don't even want to let him in the country and Ruby was there we would we, we, stop him at the in the airport I mean yeah. well yeah. some of us not, not me of course I like the but way anyway. that, I would like the way that Aldous Huxley wrote about this he didn't originate the term but he certainly has written about it the perennial philosophy it's like the perennial yeah. poetry the perennial music uh, this stuff is perennial it, it, uh, it blooms every year and it never ages. Coltrane, the perennial saxophone. Thank you. He'd appreciate Miles, that. Miles, okay. yeah. perennial trumpet. You know. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy. the perennial guitarist. <laughs> All right, I'm really going to try to get this thing back to stages. Okay? So, Bob, so a, moment ago, a moment ago, Bob, you, you mentioned the community, the aspect of the conversation mm-hmm. we have and the aspect mm-hmm. of community with others. And I wanted to share uh, an email that came in from one of our listeners and this will probably all be much further along by the time this episode airs, but uh, the information is still very much relevant for people who are uh, wanting to get involved with this. Um, email said that they ask, when will you be instigating something online or a way for us to connect and support each other? I like AA and we have a Buddhist oriented addiction recovery group. I am very grateful for them, but I am enthusiastic for an integral recovery group. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that uh, we have all been thinking about and talking about, looking for a way to put together. Um, as of now, we have a small but growing uh, private group on Facebook that we would invite you very much to come join. And um, we are also working on putting together a place for us to meet online. And this will be a community where we have meetings together. Uh, probably we'll begin with a short meditation and then discussion. It would be a place for the integral recovery community to come together to discuss all the things that we're talking about here. There you can find um, support and explore the things that are going on in your life and, and talk about all these components of the aqua map with others who are going through the journey with you. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who comes now is very much a pioneer in this space. And so we're really looking forward to having your support and your feedback as we develop this thing, you guys will all play a very important part in, in shaping how this comes together as we see what people want and need and benefit the most from. So mm-hmm. please come visit us. Um, the best place for now to get all of these links is to visit uh, integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash community and join us in any and every way that you feel uh, drawn to. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And, and we were, I was discussing with Todd Jason uh, the other day about putting the, the, the meetings, a um, place to meditate, a place to also to share together on the Amplifield. And so this is a uh, online community thing that, that he's been developing for a while. And, and Todd is a good friend and colleague over the years. So check out the Amplifield.com. And uh, I think it's up. I, I think it's beyond beta. It's up and rolling. But anyway, that, that will unfold more and more. 
And there's so much going on now. Um, the idea of communitas and bringing it together. And of course, mm-hmm. AA got that. This <laughs> is not news to, to, to people that have been in 12-step movement, right? I mean, it's all about community and supporting one another. Mm-hmm. But it's really coming online and really great ways so we need to online offline and do this stuff as it grows so doug it's something that uh, implied in what you said uh, and john you used the term communitas is that um i just i shared with you all earlier that i just had a conversation yesterday in a, a, a mindfulness-based recovery program i'm involved in which is uh, uh refuge recovery and the thought is is that um what differentiates in some ways this community from many communities, not all communities, but many communities, is its inclusivity. Um, is that is that there's an embrace, John, I love it in your book, in your writings, there's an embrace of AA, of the 12 steps, of working the program. I love how you uh, enfold that into yours, as well as, um, it reminds me of Guy Duplessis, our colleague Guy Duplessis' book, the subtitle of his book on integral recovery is 12 Steps and Beyond. And it's, it's, we're, we're wanting to include uh, all that came before, transcend and include, so as to yeah. include that. I uh, feel the same thing about Buddhist recovery, mindfulness-based recovery, smart recovery, you think of women's in sobriety. There's so many different movements, and there's none that would necessarily be excluded. It's just for those that have a hunger, and this is something we discussed in the group yesterday, there's a hunger for stretching, stretching beyond uh, uh, the limits of one category or one group versus another. and I, I, I directed the group uh, to this organization is that integral recovery isn't a club. It's meant to be inclusive of, of most every club. Is that fair to say you guys? Yeah, it's absolutely. As you continue on the integral journey, you welcome everything the way you put it, everything that has come before include it's, all of that and a, understand. We, we, we help develop the, Mm-hmm. understanding of all of that as well as an yes. appreciation and yes. uh, yeah. the understanding of that comes directly from the study of stages and the experience mm-hmm. of evolving through them. Nice segue. <laughs> That's great. Doug. Uh, yeah. And I was going to say it's a, it's a, it's a democratic elitism. In other words, mm-hmm. the whole point is not, it's beyond just mere sobriety, which is like foundational of course, mm-hmm. but it is, you're invited to become the elite version of yourself in your day-to-day lifelong practices. Okay. And that's really where it gets exciting when you really begin to manifest your best version. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're just your, your deepest human self, but you're also coming from your highest levels of moral uh, capacity. You're also developing your essential skills. You know, we keep talking about when Jesus said, you keep that inside of you, which is inside of you. It'll kill you, but if you bring it forth, it'll bring you life. You find out what your gifts are. And how to give them, and it becomes this, this lifelong uh, um, um, journey, you know, yeah. and maybe maybe more than one lifetime. Who knows about all that stuff? So anyway, I want to get us back to stages because yeah. I'm I'm a yeah. six on the enneagram. We'll talk about that later. And I'm always mission focused. <laughs> I got I got to these stages. But anyway, so this stuff we're, we're using we're using a. Um, a a map, a developmental map called Spiral Dynamics. Okay. And there's a whole heap of maps, developmental maps. And if you, if you read Ken's book, uh, Integral Psychology, which is one of my favorites, he has like 120 or something in, in the index, different developmental maps from pre-modern times to modern times, post-modern. And they all basically are saying the same thing. It starts at simple and gets more complex as you move, you know, just like mm-hmm. capacities of an infant are no way the same as a 21-year-old, you know, a healthy 21-year-old. 
So, you know, you can see there's been changes there outwardly, but that also happens inwardly. And Spiral Dynamics was uh, the, the child of Claire, Ga- Claire Graves, who was a university professor back someplace in a small liberal arts uh, college in uh, back east. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he wrote about this, and he was finally, in the last 10 years of his life, uh, Don Beck, whom we know, or I know, I've, I've met and hung out with before, uh, spent the last 10 years with him, like taking notes and getting all this stuff downloaded. And basically, um, this, this mess back here, this spaghetti thing, is more referent for me than you. And, and, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll have the, the, the map here up on the screen when we edit this thing. So mm-hmm. it starts, uh, okay, it's a developmental level that traces where we are developmentally from the time we're born and as we progress up. Through, through different stages. And uh, not only that, it also traces the history of our human moral development, you know? So if you read, you know, the New Testament, it's a little different than First uh, John. <laughs> I mean, you know, the early parts of the New Testament are for, anyway, so, so it, it shows how, how we develop. And it's really useful in understanding history and also realizing that all these, these different levels of development are still present. On the on in the planet right now are part of the discussion, part of the mix, and they'll always be there because we're all born at stage one. Even if we have really progressive, groovy parents, you know, that are really liberal and blah blah blah, all the conservatives. But anyway, bear with me for the sake of the argument. And you're still going to be born, you know, a little infant, and you can't, you know, you don't hold a, a newborn child. I mean, you're you're looking at this beautiful baby who just come uh, into into the world or out of the world. As Alan Watts says, we emerge out of the world, not into the world. And uh, but you won't say, "Oh, what a selfish baby!" You know, it's like what? That is not even a moral thing that applies to babies. And not the, they don't make selfish and unselfish decisions at that point. That takes some more development. So starting there, and you guys want me just to run through this thing yeah. really quickly? Yeah, yeah I'd okay. like you to do that. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Don Beck that added the the color coding to these different levels, and uh, he he left his tenured position. In Texas, North Texas University, I think, and he went to South Africa at the time they were transitioning from apartheid into democracy, and he worked with the major leaders on both sides, the white and the black, and, 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 and got them to see that a lot of their conflicts weren't so much racial, but they were developmental, and you kind of put it that way, oh, okay, it starts to make more sense. So down here is beige, okay, and this is probably from, you know, from infancy to a year and a half. And beige is just basically, it's not even egocentric yet because there's not that much of an ego developed. And it's just basic survival, uh, you know, mommy, food, you know, happy, hold me, all these things. And this probably replicates our, um, you know, our ancestors 100,000 years ago are, 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 you know, they keep pushing back those, those timelines when we were just basic little survival bands and we were trying to mm-hmm. like eat and not be eaten. And there wasn't a heck of a lot of organization, as we can tell. And after that emerged, maybe about 50,000 years ago, or probably a little earlier than that now. And this is purple. And it is kind of the, uh, the shamanistic age. And, and the beautiful artifacts are, the, are in the, uh, the, the caves in southern France, you know, where you go back in these, mm-hmm. these long, a kilometer back in these caves, and you find these, mm-hmm. you know, these incredible uh, uh, drawings, shamanistic. You see, the, there's a famous one where the, the shaman is half human, half animal. And they're now saying that the reason they were so far back in the cave because they were sound chambers. 
So they were doing some kind of rituals back there that involved mm. music. And can you imagine seeing these magical paintings mm. under the light of a torch and, and just the music going on anyway, they were, they were uh, rocking with that stuff, you know, way back then. And so yeah, at this age, you have shamans, you have uh, clans that together and the spirits are propitiated through sacrifice, through altered states and, and all of this stuff. It's, it's a basic tribal uh, level development. And it also exists on the planet right now. You know, and I, and I read someplace that there's like 50 tribes in the Amazon that have never had contact with uh, modernity yet. <laughs> That's crazy. Amazing, right? <laughs> and then about 10,000 years ago, red. And by the way, Ken Wilbur has had work with this. He changed most of the colors. But we're just sticking with these because it's simple. And I talked to Ken about it. I said, just stick with it. Yeah, it's a good introduction. So we have red about 10,000 years ago. And this is kind of the power red, like like the the Mesoamerican gods, you know, the, the Viking gods, the, the gods of the Greco-Roman gods, you know, they're not like really cool, you know, all loving, wonderful beings. They're really pretty petty. And if you don't, you know, you know, if you don't honor them or something, they'll mess with you. And even if you don't mess with them, they'll mess with you. And they're like superheroes <laughs> with bad attitudes. And, uh, you know, they do reflect the kind of human psychology at a pretty basic level. So, um, Anyway, so you had the red and it's power and you had a chieftain that could rise up or, or chieftainess. Should I say I don't know. Anyway, and get a bunch of people that could go in and take over somebody else's uh, hunting grounds. And there was slavery, you know, taking people to serve you. And that, that was emerging there. And human sacrifice was a big part of it. And uh, red, you know, bloody mess. Think of Vikings, you know, and their ships coming in and whacking everybody and taking over the monasteries. And, you know, I mean. Vikings for a whole trip. 400 years, they were really a peak of it. And so after that, you have blue, or yeah, I won't even get in Kim Wilbur across the amber, but let's just fight true blue. And that was that um was the emergence of of the axial age, if you will, they call it in history, where the great teachers, the Buddha, maybe even the the Vedic Hindu uh, poetry that we know about, mm -hmm. started this idea that there was a God, one God, uh, do unto others as you have them do unto you, uh, and and uh, it it became yes, yeah, stop whacking each other, or at least stop whacking your brethren. You can whack your non brethren, but that's one of the points. But anyway, there was a there was a, a great moral shift. You know, and when you started taming the Vikings and the raiding and the pillaging and the rapine and all this stuff, it was it was blue kind of uh, coming in to tame that more bloody uh, uh, pirate militaristic nature of just, you know, mm -hmm. everybody taking everybody out, you know, and you think of, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, you know, you had the teachers, you had the Buddha, you had uh, the, the Chinese, uh, Confucius and uh, Lao Tzu. Uh, and probably it kind of wrapped up with um, with Muhammad and the birth of Islam. And that was kind of the, all of that, those three, two or 3,000 years was the axial age and axial as a big turning, a big changing. And there's some really wonderful values uh, here. If you've gone to conservative churches, you know, you can say fundamentalist, but and to healthy ones anyway, there's a real, there's a real loving and there's a real community and it's not about greed. And it's about service and humility and, you know, putting your higher power in God first, the forgiveness of sin, stuff like that. However, there are some problems with it. And there are all of these, uh, all of these stages have problems. Otherwise, there would be no evolution, you know, and the next stages are always seem to be an answer 
to some of the things that are not worked out in the previous states. And one of the problems with blue is that there's one church. There's one body of believers. That's the real one. There's one scripture. There's one prophet. There's one Messiah. And anybody outside of that is like wrong. They're reprobate, apostate, and they don't deserve to be treated very well. I mean, look at the um, uh, Crusades, you know. <laughs> Do we have to go back in history? Now, look at ISIS for crying out loud and, and uh, these fundamentalist uh, uh, Islamic things that are going on. And you can say it's not just a problem in Islam, but it's just a problem of that stage of development. It's very, um, uh, I wouldn't even say that um, ISIS is blue. It seems much more red to me. So, you know, with a, f- a few justifications from blue, but let me not complicate an already complicated situation. Okay. After that, we have the emergence of orange. And where that really started kicking in, um, in a big way, was in the Enlightenment, in the Renaissance, in the West. And, you know, you always have a, a few people who had, you know, are, are a little ahead of their time. But as, as a, uh, uh, a large enough number of participants in this new uh, stage of development start doing this thing that it begins to shift the world, mm-hmm. change the world in radical ways. And so you have uh, in the Renaissance, you know, the story before the way to ascertain truth was through the Holy Scriptures, right? And the only people that had access to it or could read them were the Catholic Church at that time. And we're talking about in Europe and, and, and uh, Eastern Christianity also. So you had some things that changed it. You had the Bible being printed in German in the common language. And so it's like, hey, man, I don't need a priest. Check this out. She said this, and you're doing that. You got to be kidding. Anyway, things started kind of breaking down. And that's when science came on. All right. And they say one of the, the big catalysts were the, um, uh, the plagues, the different waves of black death that swept through Europe. And Depending on how you read, you know, a third of the population, half a population or more, it looked like the end of the world. And, you know, at that point, all the saints' bones and, you know, the incense and all the prayers weren't doing diddly. And uh, it just like, okay, okay, this is not working. This always so science started to emerge, right? And, you know, just the facts, ma'am, the Sergeant Friday thing. And uh, science, you know, we do experiments, could be replicated. And this is a way to really understand the planet, not through, you know, pre- uh, scriptural things with shamanism or just, you know, the Pope telling you what to do. And so that began to emerge and shape the whole, the whole modern world. And you can say the big flowering of that was probably the American revolution and constitution of the first kind of dem- democratic uh, orange uh, flowering. And eventually that idea of democracy spread throughout, you know, the whole world. And uh, even countries like North Korea that are completely not democratic, call themselves a democracy just because, you know, it, it just the idea caught on. And again, uh, I mean, it's a modern world. It's the, the fact that I'm 60 years old. And I still have all my teeth and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rock and roll and doing pretty good. Uh, somebody said that uh, I read a, something that said um, antibiotics has on average increased our lifespan by 30 years wow. in, 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 the, in, in, the, wow. in the first world uh, nations. That's a lot more, that's a lot more podcasts than otherwise. You know. So, you know, and so there, there may be uh, obviously criticisms of, of modernity, but there's also some fantastic things that modernity produced, such as science, such as the internet. And uh, we're, we're moving into the post-internet world. Somebody told me the other day, which means we're not just talking about it anymore. It's a given, you know, it's like the post-oxygen world. Not that there's 
not any oxygen, but we just accept it as the way things are done. So it's not the obsession with the internet. It's just a tool that everybody has now. It's the water you're swimming in. Yeah, right. And so there were, there were some unhealthy things about uh, modernity, which is unbridled capitalism. Okay. Capitalism without a conscience. You know, there's a, there's a great demand for chopsticks in China and um, Japan. Therefore let's cut down the rainforest. I mean, that's kind of an absurd example, but that kind of idea. And you can begin to take other perspectives at orange uh, more than you could in blue when there's only one truth. Like I was with some uh, conservative friends who go to a conservative church in Texas. And I said, uh, are you trying to tell me there's only one way to approach God? And I, it was a really dumb thing to say. And they, they freaked out. You know, it's like, you can't challenge that truth, you know, with some kind of orange statement or, or post orange statement. So, so yeah, so orange, you, you, you're able to, for example, and uh, you can kind of simply say that the civil war in the United States with the great war of liberation, right. Uh, slavery in, in the Southern States, which was a Southern uh, agricultural, predominantly blue culture. And the North was a orange industrial uh, that, that, that was the, uh, the, the center of gravity there. And, and at a certain level, when you look at slavery, when you get into orange, owning other human beings, <laughs> that ain't right. Anyway, you spin it, you know, and uh, it just becomes ridiculous. And in, in the South, and I'm, you know, I'm from the South, all my ancestors fought in the Confederacy, uh, both sides, my family. And, uh, yeah, they're really brave. And it was like the lousiest cause like ever. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, in the, in the story in the South, I, and, and I'm, I'm getting off track here. It's like, it wasn't about slavery. It was about safe rats. We're all rats to do what? Well, own slaves. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, it, it, it was a bloody mess. And, uh, it, it was kind of that, that, uh, that those two memes going after each other, one saying it's okay. And by the way, it's condoned in scripture. And uh, you go back to the book of uh, Genesis, I believe, in the story of Noah. Okay, so Noah, you know, the boat, the ark comes, all the animals cruise, and he has his three sons and, I don't know, his daughters and everything. And I guess they all intermarried and, you know, they were the human beings. But anyway, the story goes that um, this is really kind of an awful story, but you can edit this if it's just too gross. But anyway, um, Noah gets drunk, like, woohoo, got through the flood. Everything worked out. 40 days, 40 nights. Now we landed. And he gets drunk. And his son, Ham, comes in, sees his dad drunk and passed out and has sex with him. And Ham is supposed to be the father of all black people. And Shem and Japheth, and Shem is supposed to be the Semitic and Japheth the white guy. And this is, like, ridiculous. It's all mythic talk. And so, anyway, that was the myth that was used to justify slavery. Believe it or not, folks, that they were still, um, they were paying for the sins of um Ham taking advantage of his drunk father, Noah. That was a story. I mean, you know, and, and looking at through, you know, a modern and postmodern eyes, it looks really ridiculous, but they really thought that was it, you know? So anyway, so modernity cruises on, changes the world, industrialization. I mean, in my cluttered office, I have more stuff than the, the pharaohs of Egypt ever dreamed of as far as just... Uh, wealth of experience and gadgetry and science and all this stuff. But there was a downside to, um, to modernity and it became just unbridled capitalism. I got mine, you know, and, and capitalism doesn't have to be that way. You know, capitalism can actually be a noble thing if it's used as a way to share 
and and uh, put your wealth into other people so they can you know develop. But it's it's really turned into kind of this Anne Randian Superman, you know, uh, in you see it reflected in in a lot of our right wing politics in the United States. And there's problems with that, okay? Because people need help, people need succor, people need uh, compassion. And so in, around in the late fifties, with the advent, well, not the advent, but the really uh, the, the finding it, it's 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 sea legs, if you will, of the um, 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 civil rights movement. Okay, and then the emergence of the counterculture and uh, the the ecological movement and the Native American rights and women's rights and gay rights and animal rights and everybody's rights. Okay, was emergence of green. Okay, and that's uh, you know up here. And it's pretty high up there, and that is the last stage of first tier. Okay. And you can, you can tell the meme when we say meme, we kind of mean the, the center of gravity, uh, whether you're in an orange community or a, uh, or a red community or blue community by just paying attention to the cars that people drive. Okay. Boulder, Colorado has the biggest Subaru dealership in the world. Tells you something about Boulder, Colorado. Anyway, what, what level there? So you can, you can tell these things. You can pick up really closely uh, by the way people dress, the way they speak, their bumper stickers, are just you, you get pretty good at it. So green came on, and we were you know with the hippies and organic food, and uh, everybody's accepted. Um, but there was problems in that, okay? And partially because it was really a reaction against orange modernity and, and capitalism, it became somewhat anti-intellectual more feeling based. And of course, Ken talks about it in his, uh, his book, uh, which is uh, Trump and the post truth world. Is that the name of the, the book? Yes. That's Fantastic the book that, uh, I that believe we, it's free, isn't it? Yeah. Right now, get it free. Shambhala's busy publishing it right now and, and really quickly. So it's going to have, it's going to cost something. So you can go to, uh, uh, I don't know. Does it featured on our website yet? Uh, no, I'll, go, I'll find the link and get it. Yeah, out you go there. to Integral Life. It's 80 pages. It's fantastic. And it talks about the problems with green, which is kind of the leading edge. So we have this thing first here, all the way from beige through purple, through red, through blue, through orange, through green. And then Claire Graves, even back in the 70s, said something very interesting happened after that. Okay. He said it was... Mm-hmm. There was something emerging that was not just another uh, another rung on the ladder, or as you can see here, uh, the spiral. It's not just another turn in the spiral, but he said everything prior to this new emergent thing uh, was called first tier. And one of the characteristics of first tier is that every level thinks it's absolutely right, and the other levels are absolutely wrong. And it's just a hell of a mess. You know, if you go watch MSNBC, then go watch Fox News. They're like, huh? You know, and the, you know, they're in the same country, and the, but they're seeing different universes. You know, it's just a very, very different thing going on. And they tend to just not be able to hear each other, not get along, and are constantly judging one another. So he said after Green, something that was, he's, he, uh, and I may be paraphrasing, but it says it's like leaping across a, a vast void of meaning from this first tier to the second tier. And one of the things that happens at, at, at uh, second tier is that you begin to see that all of these prior levels are not the enemy, but they're just part of the evolutionary ladder of human development that we have gone through and are going through as a species and that we go through as individuals. And remember, everybody is born at base, 
and you get as high as you can get through hard work, through um, maybe your culture, you know, providing you the tools you need to get to like modernity is pretty easy to reach down in the United States because uh, most of, uh, you know, the educational uh, tools and the schools and stuff are pretty geared to that kind of uh, development. When you get above that, it begins to be a little more, uh, um, Okay, we're we're just about through here. So I'm sorry to take it over. The, I just want to get this out, and then then we can dissect and talk about it and see how it applies to what we're doing <laughs> to the journey of integral recovery. So at second tier, it begins to shift everything, and you realize that you uh, that you have to work with all these levels. You have to teach, speak to people in the language they can understand. You have to accept it. There's kind of almost a pastoral relationship that you all of these levels have positive sides and negative sides, but you really want to work. Uh, toward the levels being um, being happy and being healthy, so they're really bringing forth their 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 good their good um, um, virtues and not their shadow stuff. And so, uh, all right, I'll leave it there. You guys want to kick in with anything? I'll just say this, John. I was thinking of it on the way in today to the office. Uh, you're so gifted at articulating this experience. In fact, you, I met the university, and you came to the university just a couple of years ago. And I really, I respect, appreciate you doing what you've just done right now. I cannot do what you just did. Um, and I, I really I bow to that. It's really, uh, really clear articulation, John. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and very broad brushstrokes here. And I left out tons of, of complexity and, and stuff, but it's pretty cool uh, when you look at it that way. And it, it also gives a, um, uh, how, how much time do we have? Uh, we about three minutes, three minutes. Okay. Let me say this one thing. When you begin the journey of addiction. Okay. If say you're starting at, you know, pretty, pretty established orange set of values and that's where you're coming from. Well, as addiction progresses, uh, it's a devolutionary disease. Okay. Uh, and, and integral recovery is an evolutionary ascent. So you start, you know, you say you're here at orange, you begin, you go down here and pretty soon you're, you know, and the latter stage of disease, you're some kind of weird purple, you know, uh, a red thing. And you just change your whole personality. You've taken on the addict self. That's the one calling the shots. And your, 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 your moral, true self, your good enough self, or maybe it wasn't, but whatever existed before is no longer calling the shots. And so you can actually see where you are. And when you begin the journey of recovery, it seems that it's, for most of us, it's really easy to get back to the prior high ground that we there uh, before we, before we were, uh, began to, to become uh, zombies, if you will, became creatures of the darkness and of addiction. And, uh, and from there, if we continue to practice as the data seems to be experiencing to be that you can actually uh, move into these higher level development. And why is that important? You can take more perspectives. There's more wisdom. There's, you can, you can hold more and it's just happier up there, you know, up, up the top of the ladder. You can see more in the world is a much bigger, more complex and more beautiful place. So that's kind of uh, probably where I should stop for, for right now. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you. <clears throat> so shall we call that a wrap for, for this week? Yeah, we have a lot more to explore on levels. Um, we've, we've given you a good rough outline here and uh, make sure to tune in to the next episode next week where we'll start getting into the implications of all this and uh, how, how understanding of the levels or lack thereof uh, is influenced by your psychology and the implications on that for recovery. In addition to upward and downward movement, the way that you can use an understanding of levels to 
uh, heal and continue the evolutionary journey. So we look forward to seeing you then. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.